For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We are about to break the surly bonds of gravity and punch the face of God. I wish I was a little bit Left taller. Jab Productions present Edge of Sports I'm Radio, I'm where sports and politics collide. And now your host, Dave Zarin. The Schmara Kid. Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. I did not boom today. Uh, this has been a, a week of absolutely heartbreaking news across this country. I'm joined by the coach, Kevin McNutt. How are you doing, coach? Doing well, brother. Doing well. I mean, first of all, uh, as we're recording this show, I personally, as a New Yorker and as a human being, am in a state of anger after a grand jury in Staten Island made clear what a grand jury in Ferguson made clear, and that's that black lives do not matter in this criminal justice system. You know, Langston Hughes once said, justice is a blind goddess, is a thing to which we black are wise. Her bandage hides two festering sores where once perhaps were eyes. Mm. And that's how I'm feeling. So on this show, after this break, Coach, I think one thing that it might be, what I'd like to do is shut my own mouth and just hear your own thoughts about the last couple weeks. I mean, since we last did a show, it seems like not two weeks, but two lifetimes ago. Mm. With Ferguson, Staten Island, Michael Brown, Eric Garner. And we also are later in the show going to talk to Jamila King from Colorline. She's in New York. And obviously there's so much sports and politics news that comes out of this. Whether we're talking about the Rams, Mm -hmm. whether we're talking about basketball player Ariana Smith at Knox College and her on-court protest action, or whether we're talking about a University of Maryland wide receiver uh, whose name is Dion Long, who was at a protest on campus on uh, Tuesday night with a sign that's uh, Wednesday night with a sign that said, "Are we still thugs when you pl- when you pay to watch us play sports?" Wow. I'll say that again. Are we still thugs when you pay mm. to mm. watch us play sports? I don't know what's more searing, that question or what mm. the answer might be. I mean, maybe it mm. differs slightly for for different sports. But I really just believe in my heart of hearts that when people buy tickets to a football game, that's a little exactly what a lot of people think. Mm-hmm. And they get a vicarious thrill about it. The same thing they're horrified about that might happen on a street corner. They go to the game to get their jollies on it. It's very These things are very connected. And we're going to talk about all these wow. things. But first, we got to go to break. We'll be back right after this at Edge of Sports. Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. We'll return after this. Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. We're back here on Edge of Sports Radio. Now, Coach, I really think one of the reasons why it's so difficult to have an honest discussion about racism in this country, I'll be very straight up about it, is because white people get too defensive too quickly. Yeah. Honestly. And it makes all people, black or white, who want to have that discussion hesitant to bring it up. Mm -hmm. 
Because why would you want to talk about it if someone's just going to snap back in your face? So here's this all-pervasive-ism that surrounds our lives. And because, frankly, a lot of white people are very defensive about even having the discussion, we can't even begin to untangle the many ways in which 350 years of, whether you want to talk about slavery, Jim Crow, what have you, how it has infested and infected this culture. I mean, like Chris Rock said in a recent interview, he said, I tell my kids, you are meeting the nicest generation of white people black people have known (laughs) in centuries. Worth thinking about that. But I'll tell you the defensiveness is in some respect a legacy of the greatness of the civil rights movement and Dr. King because to be a racist is a bad thing. So no one wants to think of Mm themselves as a racist. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is that I don't think people understand, I I blame the low level of politics in this country, the difference between something being racist and someone being racist. Mm. Something being racialized and someone being racist. And let me explain what I mean. Think about what I said before we went to break. I was talking about how the spectacle of sports, this is highly racialized. The idea of majority white fans watching black bodies that they love on the field, like Dion Long said, but might think they're thugs off the field. Or basketball, where people just absolutely go nuts for March Madness, even though it's a system that's set up in a highly racialized way that exploits young black men who are easier to exploit because of their desire for the opportunity that comes with basketball. That's not the same as saying that every fan of football is like a closet Klansman. That's not the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's not saying that people who love basketball are secretly, you know, they would have been watching Mandingo fighting in the 1700s. Maybe some would, but that's not the same thing. To say that a setup is institutionally racist is not the same thing as saying an individual is racist because they enjoy the contradictions, the artistry, everything that comes with sports. And it's important that we make that distinction because if we can't talk about how institutions and systems are set up in a racist way, we're never going to untangle them. That's why racism, it cannot be a discussion about the individual feelings and an individual cop's heart. It can't be a discussion about this individual prosecutor and Ferguson. It has to be a discussion about why systems are set up to breed results that may horrify people, but they don't surprise people. Not people who know a thing or two about reality in this country. But I'm doing the opposite of what I said. I'm talking too much. <laughs> Coach, I just, what are your thoughts about the last couple of weeks and the, the little bit of sports intersection there? Good gracious, Dave. Uh, <laughs> So much going on, uh, and where do you start? I mean, I, I will say, say what you said about the football scenario. When I see SEC football, mm. and I look in the stands, and it's, and it's 85% white, and mm. it's uh, uh, 20 of the 22 starters are black, and I watch the, the coach come onto the field or, or at the end of the game. Including state, the quarterbacks. No, no, no but I'm, I'm – I'm, Oh, sorry, you know, sorry. Spurrier and Saban, and they've got the state troopers guarding them. And I just say, look at this. <laughs> and, and and get into the dynamics you were saying, but I'll hold off on that. But the week, though, okay, this has been a heavy week for, for black folk and uh, throws you some curveballs. You have – watch this. You have Barkley – pop off we'll talk about him later Charles Barkley and right 
calling okay. looters and Ferguson scumbags right. and saying that the cop was right. right. He's looked at the evidence. Right. And he said that also that the police are not out here out here to white police aren't out here to shoot black people, which is a stupid comment because nobody's saying that. Right. They're saying the incidents and the frequency is the problem. And he has not looked at the stats that you wrote about that was in the Harlem report. I'm quoting the report wrong, but that, that, that showed the statistics. So he says that prior to what happened with Gardner. And that was on for everybody to see. If You, you might be uh, uh, debate the indictment if you didn't read it and then so forth and so mm-hmm. on. But you saw. And that case, what, what you saw right there, is what is what Jack Buck said on on, on Gibson's home run. I can't believe what I'm seeing here. Mm-hmm. And you're watching that, and it just takes you back 20 years to Rodney King. Mm-hmm. Only Rodney King did not die. Mm-hmm. And the cops in the Rodney King case were actually indicted. We couldn't even get an Thank indictment you. this Thank time. You. And watch this. Barkley would be a prime example because if you see Rodney King, if you see in Brown, if you see in Gardner, these were big black men. So so let me tell you, Barkley, you are more likely to be pulled over than I am because you're a big black man. So that gives calls and pause for people to say, well, it was a big belligerent Mandingo guy out of control. Although these both both cases, they were all three cases. There was they were defenseless. And you know, it's so interesting. We're having this discussion in the shadow of the other major news story of the last several weeks. And that's been the unbelievably shocking fall from grace of Mr. Bill Cosby. Yes. And I'll tell you why. I'm bringing this up. Bring this up for a good reason. I'm going to follow you. Because, look, so many of us don't want to hear another word about why black culture or the problems, quote unquote, in black culture is the reason for problems in black America, not when black people are victims of state violence. Because the problem is state violence, not black culture. And Bill Cosby, let's forget about the last couple of weeks and what's brought him down from grace. Bill Cosby was making his living a decade ago by saying the problem was black culture. And he specifically Mm. chastised black people for naming their children things like Shaniqua, Raekwon, Taekwon. He's like, you're never going to... You know, like it's he basically was like, you're never going to make anything of yourself. You're always going to have a target on you if you give yourself these Mm -hmm. names. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about that because I was thinking about the police killing people named Michael, (laughs) Eric. (laughs) Wow. You know, this name, you know, and it's, yeah. it's just further, yeah. hey, Bill, you know, it's just, it's just further BS right. on, 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 and right. so it's just like, I, if, if anything comes out of this, I hope we can bury right. the problem being like, if only genes weren't sagging, then police would, you know, it's just, it's just not true. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about leadership now, and again, going back to Cosby. So in the black community right here, you had Charles Barkley get on CNN, like he is our new Jesse Jackson. He is a late night comic. Period. Okay, and but but look at the look at the, the leadership that Cosby has been. I don't know. I don't know what to say. Taken down or just exposed. Marion Barry died here in the city. Uh, our, our good friend Brian Burrow passed. Now, these are these mm-hmm. are black men that were in leadership and and positive folks. Um, you know. But on the flip side, uh, you got the Rams, who I was proud of what they did, and um, you know taking a stand. Uh, so it's just a lot going on. I am confused. Yeah, I, it's, yeah, yeah. it's heavy. It and, is and really let's, heavy. And let's break it apart a little bit. I mean, Bill Cosby, it's very much looking like he is a, a serial rapist. Oh, my goodness. There are too many stories that are too similar. And what it does is it, it I think it just rips apart more of the hypocrisy of him lecturing 
uh, black families about how they're supposed to live. It's just, and it, and it looks pathological, it looks frightening, and frankly, it looks just very, very disturbing. Mm. And you notice you're not seeing a lot of the, you know, people running to his defense. Mm. How about that? How about that? Mm-hmm. Where are the Cosby kids running to, you know, and that just makes you, sh- you know, go, hmm, as well. Marion Barry is someone I recently wrote about because I don't think people have the first idea what he meant to this city in the oh, 1980s. You know, the first idea. It's like one website put out the crack mayor yes. is dead and whatnot. How and it, the, the disrespect. And people don't know the Marion Barry who gave city workers the day off so they could protest the, the South African embassy. Mm-hmm. There's not that Marion Barry. Mm-hmm. Or the Marion Barry who resisted calls to actually militarize the police force. Mm. During the drug wars of the 1980s. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is born fruit unto itself. Um, and then you have Brian Burwell, who you mentioned, longtime columnist from St. Louis. People know him from ESPN. Strong, he passed away writer. from cancer at age 59. Dearly, dearly missed. Was very kind to me once when he didn't have to be. Mm. Very kind. Mm. Offered me solidarity at a very difficult time. Yes, sir. And uh, so love to you and the Burwell family. We got to go to break right now. We're going to be back after this because we got much, much more to discuss. One, two, don't move. Dave Zirin will be right back with more Edge of Sports Radio. You're listening to Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. We are back here on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide, joined by the coach, Kevin McNutt. Coach, I got to ask you this question. Mm-hmm. When you heard that the Rams stepped out, put their hands in the air, and the hands up, don't shoot, give me your immediate reaction and your thoughts, and then I'm going to tell you some of the reaction that I got from praising it and why that reaction, I think, is so incredibly stupid. But go ahead. First reaction was praise. Go, my brothers. Go. Fantastic, loved it. Um, no, no, no criticism about it. about time. You are more than a football player. That's what you do. Uh, I love the awareness. I love the courage. No downside to it to me at all. Mm-hmm. No downside. And interestingly, I don't know if it would have been as big a story if the police department right, right. did not come out against it. <laughs> and that's another part of this. Like whether you're talking about. Announcing the fact that the grand jury did not return an indictment, that the prosecutor chose to do that at 9 p.m. Uh, whether yeah. you're talking of after a long, very obnoxious, rambling uh, exhortation, whether you're talking about uh, the police going after, either they're poking at people, trying to get them out there. It just seems like there's a lot of provocation as opposed to trying to keep things as calm as possible. Mm-hmm. And that that's very bizarre to me. Were you conflicted at all, Coach, that Kenny Britt was the person who probably organized it, someone who's had his own – I think he's been arrested five times. No. Does that bother you at no, all? No, no, no. See, it, <laughs> it doesn't bother me a whit. I'm just no. – I'm going through Why should of, it? And I'm going to – all right, go ahead. Go. I mean, why should it? Why, no, no, no. And it, Austin jumped in. Um, Cook jumped in. And, and I'm forgetting the other two brothers. No. <laughs> Why are you categorizing these guys and telling them they can be only one thing? That and I'm, I'm, I'm segueing day. I'm sorry. I'm rambling. There's a no, weird okay. emotional stuff. This is what this it's is for. what makes and this is one of the things that really, really makes my makes me mad because you heard Giuliani on Face the, uh, Meet the Press say that disgusting. Why are we doing? Why are you uh, worried about um, a, a white cop shooting a black when 
92% of the number of black on black crime. Well, by the way, there's 88% of white on white crime, too, which he didn't mention. But the point of it is, why can't we settle and solve all these problems? Why does it have to be one at a time? Why can't we also work on our black on black crime and deal with this one? It's and, almost and, like uh, it's, it's almost like an expectation that you can't handle it. It's so you can only do one thing at one time. It also no. needs to be said that Michelle Alexander, the author of The New Jim Crow, I mean, she she wrote yes. about this in, yes. in, in the most yes. statistical yes. sense that the phrase black on black crime is complete, utter BS and actually should be removed from our collective lexicon mm-hmm. because what you're really talking about is poor people killing each other. And, if, and, and that is actually the same, white or black. So it's not like black poor people are killing each other and white poor people are singing Kumbaya. No, it's about who's locked in poverty and who's not. Because guess what? Rich and middle class black people don't kill each other. Thank you. So you can't talk about it. Thank you. In that kind of racialized way unless you have an agenda. And gee, Giuliani has an agenda. Another question for you. Mm. Once again, this (laughs) relates to my Twitter feed. And I'll tell you why this was so terrible. Did it bother you at all that they did hands up, don't shoot when the grand jury said that Michael Brown did not, in fact, have his hands up? Justice. Mm. You know? Um, And... uh, Again, no. Just the, just the fact that they took a stand and had the courage to uh, to uh, take the stage. Um, I've been looking for that for so long on so many levels by these black athletes. And, and doing it in St. Louis, too, yeah, because the Washington right. football defensive secondary did this during did, the preseason. Right, right, right. And uh, no, I had no problem with it. I admired it. Uh, you know, what are you trying to do? Break it down, tear it down, segment, segment. Put it in segments. No, what they did was from their heart, and I congratulate them. Stand behind them. Now let me tell you this. Uh oh. Let me tell you this. Uh oh. <laughs> I had so many people. I'm sure flood my Twitter feed and say, "How are you praising these thugs?" Where, the why are they thugs? Because it was Brits. Mm. But what about the other guys? But go ahead. I'm Just sorry. Generalized. Go, you know, generalized racism. Yep. Thank they you. said. They said, "Why is why why are you doing that?" And they also said that they were spreading a lie about the Michael Brown case and popularizing a lie by having their hands up and sending me all these links to the grand jury or witnesses who said he didn't have his hands up. I want you to say a couple things about that. First and foremost, uh, 16 of the 18 witnesses in the grand jury testimony said he did, in fact, have his hands up. That's the first thing. But second, let's say for a second that all 16 of those witnesses were lying, biased. Let's just pretend. People have to understand that the hands-up gesture, which, by the way, is now part of protests across the world. The world. The world. Yep. Is not even about Michael Brown at this point. Not at all. Do you know what it's about? It's about the inability to think that black people can solve police violence on their own without police pulling the trigger at them. Because there has been a lot of talk in recent years that's been more public, something that's been in the black community, of course, for (laughs) a couple centuries, about what's known as, quote-unquote, the talk. And that's the talk that parents give their children in black families about how to handle yourself if you see a police officer so violence does not occur. Like, these guys are going to be on a trigger. You better be calm. Here's how you handle yourself. The hands up, don't shoot is a way of saying you can do the talk. You still might die. Mm-hmm. Your hands could be mm-hmm. up. You still might die. Mm-hmm. 
And it's not about, you can't say this enough time, it's not about individual racist bad apples. It's about the systemic nature of what the police are there to do. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. You're talking about institutional racism. I'm talking about that, yes. And one of the ways in which people have historically sought to escape that racism is through sports. Uh-huh. And in some respect, that's fool's gold. Of Please go on. But you've written about it, so go ahead. Yep. And, and they, As someone who's been a ref for 30 years, why is it fool's gold? <laughs> well, because, because what happens is you fall asleep at the wheel. And I, I say that, and I take a lot of abuse. Come on, Kev, get out of the third. Come off the H. Rap Brown, Stokely Carmichael thing. That was back in the day. And I say, stay awake, people. Stay awake. White and black. Stay awake. Don't fall asleep at the wheel. Look at the times have changed. We've got a, a black man in the, in the White House. Okay, yeah, movement's been made. Don't fall asleep. And now these same people I'm coming back to and say, okay, what happens? What's the difference between Rodney King? The difference is this cat killed, was, was killed. And I'm saying, don't fall and asleep. Cop, and the cops were indicted in Rodney King. Thank you. Yeah. Don't fall asleep watching the games, and now you're seeing uh, Michael Vick and, and Cunningham and uh, black we're quarterbacks now. We de coordinators, we're head coaches and all. Don't fall asleep. And don't just go in and, and watch games, go to bed. Pop the, uh, uh, the, the, the uh, TV off, get up the next morning, read the sports page and say, ha ha, the world is fine. Stay on guard. Stay awake. And this is a wake up call that shouldn't have been there. You should have been awake. And, you know, very well said. And I'll say, you know, the part about that. And I think this is the message that the athletes of the Rams are saying by putting their hands in the air. And what Kenny Britt is saying by saying my, my son's lives matter. Uh, and also this wide receiver from the Terps. Uh, whose name I mentioned earlier, who said, you know, Dion Long, who said, are we still thugs when you pay to watch us play sports? I think what they're all saying and what the protesters, remember we had on a couple protesters on the show who did the demonstration in the stands by saying Black Lives Matter on and off the field. I think the message that unites it all is don't confuse iconography with progress. Mm. And it can't be said loudly enough. Like, don't, it, it's a great thing to use one example that when I found out Logan Thomas was black, I was like, oh, you know, when in the past it would have been like there's a black quarterback on the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Or when Mike Tomlin was hired by the Steelers and I first saw his picture, I was like, oh, <laughs> because I'd read a bunch about Tomlin, but I'd never seen his face. You know, is that is that a measure of progress on one level? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, on but on, but on another level. It has to be said again, don't confuse iconography with progress. It's not the same thing. Because we're talking about systemic racism. The system can, of course, not just endure black quarterbacks, but black presidents, black attorney generals. It's not about faces in high places. It's about policy Mm -hmm. and what Mm -hmm. those policies are. Mm -hmm. And if our society is so sick that, you know, a video does not get somebody indicted, Ooh. then where are we? Go, Dave. That's what I'm going. <laughs> but think about it, though. The guy who filmed it was indicted, and the police officers who killed him were not. Say that again, Dave. The person who filmed the film that everyone's seen, the, the strangulation of Eric Garner, the person who filmed it was indicted. I did not know this. Yeah, because of some statute that's illegal to... Um, film police officers in the line of duty, something like that. And he was arrested and indicted. 
the police who killed him were not. I mean, seriously, I put that in a separate category of WTF. Like, you arrest the... <laughs> this is the WTF category. I mean, you arrest somebody for filming a killing, but not the killers. Here's another one. You have Dan Snyder suing Native Americans mm-hmm. for saying that the name of his team is racist. That's mm-hmm. totally in that bizarro world category for mm-hmm. me. And then the other one that just boggles my mind is the St. Louis Police Officers Association mm-hmm. saying that they're offended, offended. by the Rams. Come on. Shouldn't they be offended Go, Dave. that Michael Brown was left in the street for four Go, and a half Dave. hours? Shouldn't that have caused that? No, no, I'm not even going to go, Dave. <laughs> I'm not please, even going to go, Dave. Please. I'm not even going to go, Dave. But, but just so folks know, a big shout out to Ms. Ariana Smith, who, remember, Michael Brown was in the street for four and a half hours. Ariana mm-hmm. Smith took the court for Knox College. During the national anthem, she put her hands up in the air, walked down the court, and lied down in the middle of the court for four and a half minutes to represent the four and a half hours and would not move. Wow. I mean, after the four and a half minutes, she walked out. She felt like she had to do it because they were playing a team in Claremont, Missouri, which is right outside St. Louis. And she's just like, I could not live with the idea of doing nothing while people are getting gassed a few blocks away. Look, if that's the new generation, then maybe things are not as bleak as we think. This is Edge Sports. Hope. We'll be back right after this with Jamila King. Dave Zirin will continue with Edge of Sports Radio after the break. Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. We are back here in Edge of Sports Radio with the coach, Kevin McNutt. Coach, before we go to our guest, Jamila mm-hmm. King from Color Lines, just to finish the story. Yes. I was telling you about Ariana Smith, the basketball player uh, from Knox, and what she did when playing a team from Claremont, Missouri, taking to the floor for four and a half minutes, uh, and then walking out and raising her fist in the air. The team immediately suspended her, Uh and then the school rescinded the suspension within 24 hours. And the number one reason the school gave for rescinding the suspension was basically, this wasn't said publicly, but I know this is the truth, is that the entire team just stood up for her and gave her support and love. And it's like, this this will not pass. And so the school did not want to face that kind of backlash. Because let me tell you something, Knox College would have become infamous. Mm Mm-hmm. If they had suspended her for doing this at this mm-hmm. point in time in history. And it's powerful. Yes, sir. And it's on YouTube. And it's worth checking out. Ariana Smith, that's spelled A-R-I-Y-A-N-A, if people want to search that. Very happy to have our next guest on. She's one of the senior editors over at Color Line. She is in New York City, which makes it very relevant to speak to her. Her name is Jamila King. Jamila, how are you? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? Doing well. I'm doing well. Just, just very straight up. You're, you're in New York City. Can you give us a sense of the mood? Were you out at any of the demonstrations? Some, something that tells us uh, what's, what's the feeling there in New York City right now? The feeling is that folks are fed up. You know, I don't. The really sad thing that I've come to realize is that folks aren't surprised at all. Um, mm-hmm. This is sort of what folks were expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've been through it before with Sean Bell and mm-hmm. Amadou Diallo, any number of folks. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the timing of it because it's about a little more than a week after Ferguson, after the grand jury ruled not to indict um, Darren Wilson for Mike Brown's murder, it just makes it that much more poignant. Um, so folks are angry, and folks are rightfully angry, and. Folks are even more angry because, you know, this was caught on tape. This was, 
you know, police are supposed to be the folks who are protecting us. And now the conversation is that, well, if they have cameras and we can mm-hmm. catch them when they're doing something wrong. And now we're learning that even when we do have cameras, that's not the case. So mm-hmm. folks are upset and they have a right to be. Where were you specifically? I was in Manhattan most of last night. Like um, all of Manhattan? Or I, were you like, were you at Union Square? Like, where, where did you jump off from? I was sort of at Columbus Circle. There were a lot of various sort of protests going on, but I think that, um, you know, it's a big city. There are a lot of people who are angry. Um, and, you know, also the thing about New York is that it's very organized. You know, there's an infrastructure here that's been working um, toward mobilizing people for months now, years, if not years. And, you know, a lot of the momentum I think that you saw, um, you know, a year ago, two years ago around stop and frisk has suddenly bubbled up again. Um, and, and folks are, are kind of channeling their anger in um and I think productive ways, and not that they're in unproductive ways, but, you know, I, I think that folks are uh, reacting in a way that's organized, in a way that's trying to find accountability. Um, and it's it's kind of where do you find that now, right? If you can't go through the legal system, I think that's where folks are at right now. That gets to my next question, because you know, Frederick Douglass said famously, power concedes nothing without a demand. The grand juries have spoken. What are the demands other than anger reactive anger at what the grand not that there's not value to reactive anger because of course there is of people expressing themselves but what are the forward looking demands that you see being expressed some of the demands that i see kind of harken back to um oscar grant and Mm. and so i say this because my colleague julianne Heen was reporting on oscar grant back in 2010 in oakland um and the demand there was similar right you did get an indictment you did get an, an officer go to prison for about 11 months um, but a lot of the activists you spoke to then and a lot of the activists I'm speaking to now have the same sort of reaction in that, you know, justice is, is more preventative, right? It, it's a matter of, yes, you know, we do want accountability. accountability. We do want these actions to be um, prosecuted, but also, you know, we don't want these actions to happen at all, right? And mm-hmm. so you have to look at sort of the underlying systemic things that are leading to these things. And one of the things that, you know, has come up in our newsroom, at least at Color Lines, is, the prevalence of the broken windows theory, right? That you should heavily police black and brown communities um, for various insignificant infractions, right? Eric Garner was, you know, he was killed basically because he was selling Lucy cigarettes on Staten Island. Um, so, you know, it, it's really about tackling uh, those sorts of systemic issues that that lead to these things. I think that folks are really fed up with trying to, to get accountability from a criminal justice system that's really not built for them, right? Like, of course, the criminal justice system is built to protect its own, and that's exactly what it's doing. It's working exactly the way that it's built to. Mm. We were talking with Jamila King from Color Lines. Let's talk about that broken windows theory, because mm-hmm. it's it's hard to disentangle broken windows theory from stop and frisk. You should correct me if I'm wrong about anything I'm about to say, because I'm I've, this is all I'm, I'm culling this together. I'm not in New York. My understanding is that stop and frisk has gone down like like police officers stopping and frisking people, uh, profoundly people of color. It's gone down 79%. And crime has right. also gone down, which says that it's utter BS that you need stop and frisk to keep the city safe. And right. if that's if that's yeah if that statistic is correct, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say yes because I did not double or triple source that. <laughs> um, the is there still though? broken windows theory so has de blasio like turned the volume down on one part of the giuliani era policing but the other part is still present is that what people think yeah 
so I think that the overwhelming uh, suspicion is that this is sort of, the broken window theory is sort of at the, the core of New York policing and has been for the past 20 years. Um, and so I, you saw it a couple of weeks ago, even with um, the, the murder of 27 year old Akai Gurley. He was in his building trying to go home in Brooklyn. And then a police officer, a rookie police officer came in and um, they were doing, I forget what they're called, but they were essentially um, going up and down the staircases trying to um, trying to fix broken lights and see who was in there. Um, and ultimately, you know, a gun went off and a Kai girly died. Um, and, you know, so I think there was a lot of talk in the New York Times about that when that happened. Um, and there's this perception that, you know, broken windows hasn't worked, right? Like you can't overly police communities. You can't do that and expect folks to um, to feel safe, one, and then you do have these these things that happen, right? You have people who get killed because of various, various small infractions, and I think that folks are really fed up with that. Mm. Uh, we were talking with, with Jamila King from Color Lines. Let's bring this to sports a little bit because it's very, very difficult to turn on the news and listen to to the latest about whether it's Michael Brown in Ferguson or Eric Garner in New York and not have an athlete on there actually speaking. And you recently wrote something about Charles Barkley and his comments. So I guess my, my question for you is, A, what are your thoughts about the amount in which athletes have been a part of these discussions, whether we're talking about the St. Louis Rams, whether we're talking about Charles Barkley, Atan Thomas's response to Charles Barkley, which, which has gone totally viral in a crazy way. Uh, like, what, what's your take on that? And then I have a follow-up about Barkley in particular. Yeah, I mean, so I think that what you are seeing is you are seeing a lot, of, a lot more athletes stand up just because they don't have a choice. You know, I, I feel like it would be glaringly apparent if you had no athletes standing up um, for instance, with the, in doing what the St. Louis Rams did. Um, but, you know, with Barkley, you know, you never know what you're going to get. He's been doing this the better part of 30 years. Like, it's not mm-hmm. new. It's not surprising. Um, but I think the media really feeds off of that, right? Like, he comes from a very particular strain of sort of black conservative thought, and he's a high-profile guy. And so when he says something that's kind of off the wall, people are going to eat that up, you know, mm-hmm. um, or eat up parts of that and sort of make it, seem as if this is what the sports world thinks um, and this is what this influential guy thinks. And, you know, I, I wish that there was someone who would speak out. I wish, you know, who knows, Michael Jordan could speak out and on par and actually counter whatever Michael, whatever um, Charles Barkley is saying, but that's not going to happen. So, you know, it's kind of, it's par for the course. I'm, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that the media is eating it up, but I do think there are a lot of examples that sort of contradict what Charles Barkley is saying. And we just need to hold those up and, and really validate those a little bit more. Well, it's interesting. Like Atan wrote this open letter in response. I don't know if you got to see it. It was really powerful. Were you able to check that out? No, I wasn't able to see it. Yet. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 um like crazy out there, and he was pretty disheartened by. He got a lot of people from big sports radio, national sports radio, who wanted to have him on face to face with Charles Barkley, to then debate it out together. And that disheartened him because he was like, they want to turn this into a spectacle of then just like me versus Charles. And it feels like a lot of the same okie doke as opposed to making this what it needs to be about, which is the deaths of Michael Brown and Eric Garner. I mean, and I I wonder about that. I'm just wondering how you take that in because I've been struggling with this um, about being happy that athletes are using that hyper exalted platform to speak out. 
yet also wanting to make sure that that then doesn't become the spectacle, not when thousands of people are in the streets. Right. You know, I think one of the stories I've been working on um, has been the story around this movement called Blackout for Human Rights. And it's a movement that's about 100 people strong, um, but it's got a lot of attention mostly because it's got some influential Hollywood names in it, meaning Jesse Williams from Grey's Anatomy, Ryan Coogler, who developed Fruitvale Station, Ava DuVernay, whose film Selma is going to come out on Christmas Day. Um, and they organized this, this massive sort of blackout, um, or sorry, this, this massive boycott of Black Friday. Um, and, you know, that just talking to folks in that network about how it worked, you got the sense that it was organized and everyone really, really flocked to it because they wanted to be this organized sort of cohesive unit. And I'm not sure if something like that is happening in sports yet. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of this was, you know, sort of word of mouth. A lot of it was sort of leaders, you know, who would talk about this informally with friends at Hollywood parties, et cetera. Um, and then they kind of jumped on this opportunity. And and that could very well be happening in sports, but I'm not sure if it's it's reached a level where it's public yet, you know, because I feel like the the, the dynamics of sports are so different. I feel like it's, it's hard to, to do something um, pretty radical right now, given the political climate and also given the financial climate of a lot of the sports world. I think it's, it's tough to get that same sort of um, public pressure um, it, from athletes, you know. But did it surprise you that the NFL was so incredibly gun-shy and the Rams organization with their whole did they or did they not apologize and them sort of making it a principle to say no we did not apologize to the police we just apologized if they were offended did that surprise you like the the same way like the same way you might have heard us talking about Ariana Smith before the break like the way in which the school suspended her and then within hours was like yeah that would be really stupid right and, you know, that did surprise me, and I, I think it also showed me that, you know, if, if you're smart and you're looking, if you're the St. Louis Rams brass and you're looking at the fact that, you know, the same people protesting this are your fans, right? Like, you've got a fan base that you've got to actually stand up for at some level. Um, I think it's smart business, you know? I think mm-hmm. it's smart business to actually sort of know the pulse of what your fans are thinking and actually stand up for human rights. Um, I think that's made them, like, really – you know, it's made them really uh, successful in a lot of ways. It also means, though, them not standing with the fans who are like, you know, yay Darren Wilson. Mm. Right, So that, right, that, that right. risk and, you know, that, in a city like nice. St. Louis with its history of segregation, you know, I mean, I think you know where I'm going with this. Like, right. it just says to me that there's, that this moment has some opportunities where the people who normally would be cracking down feel a little bit unsure, a little bit disorganized. You might have seen that a lot of the, the pundits who were scoffing at the idea that Michael Brown was a victim in the most cruelest possible way were really left kind of speechless after right. the Eric, after Eric Garner, the grand jury return. Right. And, you know, I think that's a testament to the organized sort of resistance of folks um, who are involved in the Black Lives Matter movement, who are involved in, you know, in Ferguson movements in New York City. I, I think it's really hard when you have a strong movement that's building um, to... to you know, have people speak against it. I, I think it's. Yeah. I think that, you know, you see what's happening in the streets, and it's really hard to argue against that. Jamila King, thank you so much for joining us on Edge Sports. Seriously, it's 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 always our privilege. Thank you. Thanks. All right, that was Jamila King from Color Line, mm-hmm. senior editor. Very, very sharp. I mean, it's just like I feel smarter when she talks. We got to go to break. <laughs> we'll wrap up after this. Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. We'll return after this. 
Edge of Sports Radio returns. Here's Dave Zirin. We're back here on Edge of Sports Radio to wrap up the show. Just to close it out, Coach, mm-hmm. I mean, we've talked about a lot today. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of all of this, I keep thinking to myself that I wish Brian Burwell would be able to help us make sense of it all. The same way mm-hmm. I remember when Ralph Wiley died. Yes. And with each instance, you wish holler. he was around <laughs> to help make sense of it all. I mean, the the death of Brian Burwell, I mean, we mourn him on this show because he was one of those folks who did who did not care. Yes. And he was willing to take stands when he had to. Yes. And that that, that makes that makes it hard. That makes mm-hmm. it hard. And this has not been a profession, sports writing, that has seen a lot of African-American columnists be able to have a platform. I remember one time uh, Stephen A. said it, and it was years and years ago, and I didn't do, I was in the car when he said it, he said it, and this was, had to be, it was in the 2000s, maybe early 2000s. He said it was only 44 black columnists, sports columnists, at the newspapers. And now that's, you know, newspapers are tallied off then since that time. But I'm like, wow, only 44 in the whole country. He said he was one of 44 at that time. I don't know what the number is now. But, you know, um, Burwell's top, Roden, Bill Roden, you know what I'm saying? I loved watching Burwell. When, when I see him coming, I'm like, okay, we're getting some meat and potatoes said here. This, this is not a guy that's going to, uh, you know, uh, be weak and timid. Potatoes. Yeah, meat and potatoes yeah. and saying things that otherwise wouldn't be said. Which is what's so important and what yep. so few sports writers actually do, although I, I am hopeful with some of this new generation of folks coming up. But who knows? Hey, this is Edge of Sports Radio. I'm Dave Zirin. I, I will tell you this. It's going to be hard for me to watch sports in the coming days. It really is. Mm. Unless I'm doing it for escapist purposes. No, I'm talking about your mood today. I mean, you're, you know. Well, I'm fr- I mean, I've got to tell you, one of the reasons is that I'm from New York City. Uh-huh. And growing up, it was like Staten Island was like God's country. We never went to Staten Island. And you'd ask about Staten Island, you would always hear the same thing. It's cops and their kids, and they fight. Mm. That's all you ever heard. Mm. And so this is just one of those things where this is the fruits of a part of Staten Island that I think needs to be confronted and uprooted. But, of course, it's not unique to Staten Island, so that's what I'm wrestling with. Hey, this is Edge of Sports Do your fight, Dave. Do your fight, brother. Got got to. Got to. You need it, baby. I'm Dave Zirin. We are out of here. Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. Tune in next week and go to edgeofsports.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. 
At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.